0: Inc. presents Booksmart, where we bring to light the books beloved by prominent entrepreneurs, founders, and notable figures across the spectrum of industry. I'm Cameron Albert-Deitch, a reporter at Inc. On this episode, I spoke with Dan O'Malley. He's the founder and CEO of Numerated, a startup that helps banks and credit unions automate their processes. His Booksmart pick, Radical Candor, by author and CEO coach Kim Scott. Hello, Dan O'Malley, and welcome to Booksmart.
1: Hey, Cam. Great to be here.
0: What book are we talking about today?
1: Talking about a book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott.
0: Give me the thirty-second elevator pitch. What's this book about in a nutshell?
1: Yeah, so I'll I'll start off by saying it is a somewhat controversial book. You know, the book is about delivering feedback fairly bluntly but with compassion. It got lampooned pretty pretty good on the show Silicon Valley, and in general culture since Uh then. Uh, So, and honestly, it's it's probably used by a bunch of people to justify bad behavior. But all that being said, I think. If you're passionate about feedback, it's something that you got to read and think about.
0: Do you remember the first time that you picked it up and what initially drew you to it?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I saw it mentioned. It was probably on LinkedIn by somebody that I respected, and I don't actually recall who it was, but I, I had it in my head from Silicon Valley and thought, well, this must be this ridiculous book. That's terrible. And so I went, uh, but this person was talking about it like they respected it. So then you know, I went and kind of went on to Amazon, took a look at it and thought like, God, oh, whatever, I'll, I'll download and take a read. And it struck a chord with me and kind of continued to strike a chord in 2020, which has been this you know, out of control year for all of us, but for our business in particular, where we had to, you know, to accomplish some really difficult things. And it it ended up being a really important tool for me in this crisis year. Why is that? So I guess I should probably set up the, what happened with our business first to kind of define why this was such a crisis year. So many businesses, we went remote. And then like, right after we went remote, all of our customers did too. Uh, so we work with financial institutions, banks and credit unions, and uh, all of a sudden, like every bank in the United States had to become a branchless bank. Banks aren't really good at digital. And we provide a platform that you know helps them with digital transformation, does digital lending for them. And uh, we started getting phone calls. Getting... Banks, the
0: legendarily modern industry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, all, they all do their best. It's a tough industry, man. So we started getting phone calls to help And then all of a sudden, the stimulus package started coming together. And there's a particular piece of it where banks had to deliver what ended up being about $600 billion in stimulus funding in a matter of weeks. And so we got called on by our customers to help with that and to help like right now. And so we had to stand up what ended up being 100 banks in a matter of days, entirely new government program that didn't exist. And it was a crisis. It was a it was a tough crisis and-
0: This is the Paycheck Protection Program, Paycheck right?
1: Protection Program, yeah. We, we became the number one platform in the country to help banks and, and credit unions. We have $34 billion of loans on our platform today. And just to give you a sense for like the scale of this crazy program, our platform was lending at the rate of $250 million an hour, a quarter of a billion dollars an hour. And we were doing three loans a second. There's literally never been a lending platform used by banks ever had to do that before and we were called on to just figure it out right now and um it was hard (laughs) stressful and we very quickly on our team i wonder why yeah we just we were called on to do whatever it took and just find a way and so you know we were a team of 55 people doing herculean work we just had to be super direct with each other super direct and uh even if it was painful to hear and we were going through a crisis. There was just no time, and so it ended up all the lessons from the book really resonated with me, and, and how we kind of got through this crisis.
0: In a way, it sounds like you're you're setting up a delineation here between wartime leadership and peacetime leadership.
1: Yeah, and I and uh, I've reflected a lot on that in the last nine months, to be honest. And um, you know, I, I think we did really well on wartime footing. Uh, our team came together in this incredible way. We. We solved the problems we needed to solve and we succeeded. And I feel like we got a lot of learnings from that, that we need to take from wartime into, you know, I don't know what the right analogy, peacetime, but for how we just communicated on the battlefield together. We're trying to replicate that now with the same level of directness and candor as we had during those, you know, those difficult days.
0: Walk me through that then. What lesson from this book that we know is a bit of a controversial read, At its core, what lesson has most affected the way that you lead in a positive way? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think my internalization of kind of the core tenet of the book is like there is room for both like raw facts and they need to be really raw and for emotion. Like you got to have both can't just be clinical and you can't be emotional, but you got to kind of pull them apart. Like when you're delivering feedback, you need to do it clinically because it's hard to understand your feedback if you sugarcoat it if you tell somebody oh so there's this thing and you know you could kind of work on it and you know maybe like tomorrow you could try to be better it's just not the same thing as being like you screwed this up today like you need to fix it and we're going to do it again tomorrow and you're going to be really great and you know that's that and so but you can't you can't just have that directness you need to actually care about the people you're in the trenches with and if you don't do that people end up being really defensive Give me one of those stories maybe something that has like a a
0: a way that you would have handled the feedback before and a way that you would handle this piece of feedback now
1: when we were ramping up all these new banks we were working with as part of the ppp program we ended up in the first three days launching 60 banks which was crazy and so the process for launching them had to be super easy if it took a lot of time to work with the bank to get live they just weren't going to get live the program was a matter of weeks before the first tranche of money ran out and so, honestly, we were screwing up. We had these very complicated workbooks to get a bank going, and it just was not working. And so, you know, I, I had to go to our at a professional services and basically say these workbooks are not, they're not doing the job. Like, we need to change them now and make them a lot easier. And we did. And our, our workbook today is, is a single page, it's a checklist. You can be done with it you know, in a couple hours, and then you're ready to launch. And uh, our head of professional services was amazing. And she just embraced the feedback and she got promoted at the end of it. And so we did all of that in like two days. Normally, that probably would have taken weeks and I would have sugarcoated it a little bit and not just said like, this is not good. We need to fix it right now.
0: How do you balance the harshness of this isn't good, or you screwed this up, or something that feels very much like a personal attack with the the empathetic side of you're going to be great on the next time that we give this a
1: try that you just need to state the facts and and the the facts are the facts there's you know there's kind of no disputing them i i think that's really helpful to me that's not enough though you know to me and based on my leadership style like you just got to show that you'll get in there with somebody to figure this out it's one thing to tell somebody like hey you screwed this up and uh i'm gonna come back tomorrow and i hope you fixed it by then (laughs) and it's another thing to say like this listen this didn't go well like you know like how can I help? Like we, we, we have to fix this and I will help you do it. What do you need? And so you just got to be in the trenches. That that's what does it.
0: Yeah. Presumably then actually helping them fix the problem seems like the logical next step.
1: Yeah. It And, and it's, you know, and they don't feel alone and having to solve what's probably a hard problem or else they would have already been doing it differently. Right. It's hard to solve problems alone.
0: Do you get a sense that, that, things at your company are tangibly different now that you've sort of started to proliferate this this form of feedback giving
1: yeah and it's funny i think one of the biggest changes is in how we as a company are getting feedback and i that that's like been a game changer for us you know in the course of making sure we were all giving feedback to each other very directly we also started to take some pretty direct like in the battlefield feedback from customers and, you know the most valuable pieces of it were not it's not good feedback, right? That you learn from the bad feedback. And so, like, the shocking thing happened where, in the course of a crisis, we were receiving feedback on our platform, things that needed to be fixed, like right now. We actually knew these for probably a year or two prior. We just weren't listening. We ourselves, as a company, were not open. To the feedback and so in the course of going through this we just transformed how we develop software to be totally honest where we're now much more responsive when a customer says like hey but this isn't this isn't working for me we're so used to just jumping in and fixing it immediately as opposed to being like oh, okay we'll try to work on that and so uh our cycles are just so much faster today and it's leading to all this innovation in the company beyond the ppp program just uh we're transforming how banks. Lent and put capital to work in ways that, you know, honestly, we in the market just weren't doing 12 months ago.
0: It seems like like it's one of those easier said than done things to be able to receive the feedback as gracefully as you can give that feedback. Is, is there a, a trick to gaining that level of self-awareness, whether that's you individually or the company as a whole?
1: I think the trick for receiving the feedback is before you say anything to the person who gave you the feedback, make yourself say thank you. You will just, it will change your answer. If you force yourself to say, thank you for that feedback. You kind of can't come back and act like a jerk after you've said thank you. And it forces you to sit back and like, you know, think about it. You just got to like,
0: thank you for that feedback. You're wrong. And here's why,
1: (laughs) you know, like it blocks you from, from an emotional response Uh, and that's, yeah, you got to keep your emotions. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think saying thank you is a great one. And then in terms of like delivering it, uh, like, I just always follow it up now with, like, how can I help? If you if you give really tough feedback and then say, how can I help? It, too, it takes the edge off it and it makes it less emotional.
0: What would you say is the most unexpected lesson that you've learned from this book?
1: There was a funny story in it. And I'll, I'll tell you the story because it's a good story briefly. But then I'll tell you, like, what it made, me, it made me think about myself. And I wasn't necessarily expecting this. So there's a great story about how the, uh, the author who worked at both Google and Apple, um, uh, Andy Grove, the CEO of Intel, said to her once, hey, Steve Jobs, man, like Steve Jobs, like, always gets it right drives me nuts. And she like forced him to unpack it. And she said, and we all think of Steve Jobs, as this guy who just always created great products. And the point in the book is, like, it was never actually necessarily his ideas. He just knew how to rapidly iterate on feedback. And he always got to the right answer. He did always get it right. But because he was really good at feedback, never thought about Steve Jobs that way. And so to think of somebody who's like this, you know, we think of as the best product technology person the world has ever seen, he was actually just really good at feedback. And it made me question like, gosh, all the things that, I, you know, I've been working on digital transformation for banks for like over a decade. I think I'm really smart in it. Maybe none of that matters, actually. Maybe what I think I know is much, much less important than just getting feedback from everybody I work with. And maybe that's the most important thing I can do in my career.
0: That's really interesting to me because that, that almost breaks feedback down into these multiple different categories. We tend to think of the word right off the bat as conversations between a boss and an employee. But in that example, feedback is the, the, the product cycle of, of creating whatever Apple's next piece of tech is. Or it's, in your case, figuring out how to iterate on whatever piece of tech you're working on. Are those two different types of feedback and all of the many other types of feedback that exist subjects to these same rules or these same guidelines?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. They are. I think the best feedback is the feedback that you can actually understand, which means it's gotta be direct. It's gotta be raw. It's gotta be facts. And you know, the most valuable feedback is also negative. If, Somebody telling you you did a good job on something, it's not that helpful, right? And so, yeah, if, if you just want to create change, growth, uh, personally, in your employees, in your company, you got to be open to bad feedback. you got to lean into it. Um, and uh, it's a little bit ego-crushing, honestly, when you first start doing it, because you're just going to see all the ways you're freaking wrong all the time, all the time. And you got to kind of build yourself up a little bit to be able to handle it and build up the people you work with to be able to handle it. But once you kind of cross that hill, you just move so much more quickly because you're actually hearing what people are saying.
0: Do you run the risk of overdoing it and avoiding positive feedback because it's it's not as conducive to growth?
1: I don't think so. I think in practice, I don't think that's really a problem. No, because let's just break it down. You know, Uh, I mentioned that story about kind of delivering some feedback on like, we're not onboarding banks in the right way to somebody that I work with. Right. Like she acted on it. I was proud of that. (laughs) I was like blown away by like, we just got it done in days. Like that, that builds relationships. Right. And so we have an awesome relationship now and she knows how amazing she is. And, you know, it's just, it's very easy to get positive feedback because we're like in it together and it, it just comes out. And so in practice, I really don't think that's an issue.
0: As long as you sort of close that loop then and say, you know, once the thing has been fixed or the piece of feedback has been successfully addressed, say, that was awesome. Great job. What's the next challenge? Let's go tackle it.
1: Yeah. And, and I think in practice, you don't always need that level of formal closure on it. Just so long as somebody knows you think they did a good job and you're appreciative. And, uh, you know, you can't, you kind of just do move on to the next one. And they know that, that you appreciate it because you've said, thanks.
0: If you could add anything to this book that isn't currently in there, and I know this is a potentially touchy question because it has such a like it's it's such a lightning rod of of a, of a book, what would you add?
1: Mostly, the way we have implemented a lot of the ideas in this book is just by doing them, and I didn't roll out a formal program on on the book. It just that's not what happened. But as we've sometimes talked about the idea of being really candid, there is a lot of baggage. And just some ways to deal with that baggage. In other words, you can put around the word candor without making it sound like it's French for like, I'm going to tell you that you suck. Um, <laughs> you know, I think some more stories on how to handle that would be helpful.
0: From your point of view, is there an easy way to handle that? Or is it is it just something that you gain through experience?
1: We didn't really talk about it before driving a lot of this. We just kind of did it because we had to. And so I I think the way that we dealt with it was just to put it into practice to be really candid with each other. And it worked. And so, you know, I don't think there's, we don't really have a problem with it now, but it's almost like coming back afterwards and talking about it. We realized, oh, geez, if we had talked about this first before doing it, it actually may not have worked.
0: That brings up a really interesting question to me because you are no longer presumably in this crazy level of frantic, frantic work. You are presumably stop me if I'm wrong, <laughs> moving forward at a pace that seems more sustainable.
1: There is another round of these loans about to pass, and it could get <laughs> no, crazy right. again. So.
0: <laughs> it could get crazy again. In the meantime, before it does, or maybe planning for the long-term future, once hopefully we're out of this whole mess entirely, how do you go about creating a new balance between the style that you used to use, the the sort of quote-unquote wartime style that you slipped into over the summer, and finding, finding a way to sort of keep a healthy equilibrium.
1: So the way that we talked about it on the team after we were past the 20 hour days and the, you know, just round the clock work was that what we, we can't go back on is kind of the emotional intensity. We have to be bought into wanting to make rapid change and rapid change means feedback, it just does. And so I'm not going to ask people to work 20 hours a day all the time. There's no one, no one can do it. You burn out. Even, even 15 hour days, you burn out. It's not about the like physical intensity, but the emotional intensity has to stay. You know, we're a technology company in a hyper competitive industry. We're not trying to be the best. If we're not trying to just solve problems better than anybody else, we're not going to win. And so we have to keep up that emotional intensity and just kind of stay stay on that footing, so whether it's wartime footing or semi wartime footing. I don't know what to call it, but we got to keep the intensity up.
0: So the the hectic nature of the everyday workday that can that can be put to the side. That that seems like a healthy thing to do. But but the processes that you learned to make yourself more efficient during those twenty mm-hmm. hour days those stay.
1: Yeah urgency of needing to iterate, the urgency of understanding feedback for the however many hours a day we happen to be working that day. We got to have all that. But we're just not going to work for as many hours as we had to during that crazy time.
0: Which I suspect is good for your own health as well as the health of those around you.
1: You know, there's a video interview of me back from those days when we were in the midst of it. It was a crazy time to agree to do it. And uh, I look really tired. I, I hope to never be that tired again. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Do you think this book is most important for a brand new founder, someone who's a few years into running their company, or a 25-year entrepreneurial veteran who has sort of been there and done that and seen it all?
1: I think you have to pick up ways to deliver feedback and receive feedback over the course of your career. By, by the time you're you know, seasoned, you've picked up some of this already. I think in this hyper-competitive you know, economy, we are all in now feedback is the key to winning. And so I think it's probably a good push for anybody. But I I actually wish I could go back to like 22-year-old me and say like, hey, you think you're super smart and you're well-educated and you know know everything. Well, (laughs) guess what? You don't. And your career trajectory will be determined by how well you listen to people telling you you're wrong, not you're right. So I think it'd be nice to go back in time and get that feedback a little earlier.
0: Is there a specific type of entrepreneur who you think really needs to internalize that, that kind of message?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think anybody who wants to found something needs to hear this. To be a founder, you have to be at least a little bit arrogant. You're saying you can do it better than any of the established players. It's an arrogant statement to found a company. If you're arrogant enough to believe you know all the answers, though, you're going to fail. And so balancing the arrogance inherent in being an entrepreneur with uh, humility to really listen is that's a hard that's a hard thing to uh, to understand and so it is a pretty important book for people who want to found
0: one might say that's the the challenge of a lifetime finding that balance
1: i think that's a pretty great way to say it it's cool to think of it as actually a personal challenge that you're probably never done with you know getting better at helping other people understand themselves and their opportunities what a cool thing to make that a lifelong goal, to just always get better at that. Unlock people's potential based on being really direct with them. Uh, you know, I've, I've tried to really open myself up to it in the last year and feel good about where I'm at, but I feel like I'll be working on this for the rest of my life.
0: Dan O'Malley, thanks for joining us on Booksmart.
1: Thanks, Cam, this was a lot of fun.
0: Check out Radical Candor. Be a kick-ass boss without losing your humanity by Kim Scott. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. This has been Booksmart by Inc., produced by Franz Bowen.